Um, today, we're, we are going to go through this genealogy. So if you, if you don't have a Bible with you, I think this is actually a good day to take your Bible out because we'll run through some of these names and think about these names together. Um, but let's pray that God will speak to us through this passage. Lord, we give you thanks for this genealogy. We thank you that there is a history, that there is the past that includes us, that, for, that foresees our inclusion. And we pray that as we come to this passage, that you will speak to us, that you will speak to us through the lives of these people and through, um, what, uh, through, through Matthew's gospel. Lord, we thank you that you are a speaking God, and we wait eagerly to see what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, it is sometimes hard to get excited about a list of names, and I think it's uh, partly because we live in an individualistic culture where actually which family we're from isn't as important to us um, as what we achieve ourselves. Um, but also I think it's partly biblical illiteracy, So um, because we don't know these people. Um, if we recognize who they were and what they did, I think we might be a bit more excited about that. But uh, um, because we don't know, uh, it's hard to get excited about this, uh, this passage. But it was very different for the Israelites 2,000 years ago. Genealogy was very, very important to them, and many people kept their own records at their homes, uh, but the official record was kept in the Sanhedrin, uh, the Jewish ruling body, the official government. And so uh, many people went back to trace their lineage and see where, which family that they came from. For example, Rabbi Hillel of the first century, he's a very famous rabbi, and he was very excited to find out that actually he comes from the line of David. Or Josephus is another one. Josephus is the historian of the first century, and uh, he actually begins his autobiography by writing out his genealogy. It was important to him. King Herod the Great, we heard about him last week. Uh, King Herod the Great was a half-Jew, and so what he did was he actually... Uh, went and ordered the destruction of all the genealogies, all the official genealogies in the Sanhedrin, so that no one could claim that he's a half-Jew. No one could claim that somebody had a purer Jewish blood. So that's how important genealogy was to the Jewish people. Uh, but... So I think uh, as, as, uh, as Matthew begins his gospel, I think a lot of people would, be, would have been very curious and very excited to see which family Jesus, the Messiah, came from. But then I think if they had gotten into the genealogy, they also would have been very surprised by what they, have, uh, what they found. Genealogy, this genealogy starts well, um, as, as, as it does in verse 1. The gene, this, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, and son of Abraham. Two of the most famous and most, most important people in the Jewish uh, history. Abraham, the father of all Jewish people. David, its greatest king. It starts out well, but then as we go, not, go down the list, we see unlikely inclusions all over the place, especially highlighted by the inclusion of these women in the genealogy. So right off the bat, in verse 3, you're given the name Tamar. Tamar. Tamar is surprising, first of all, once again, because she's a woman, and women were not included in, in genealogies, um, usually. But her story is also a surprising one. It's really for adults only. This is one of the reasons why we sent the kids away. <laughs> According to Genesis chapter 38, um, Tamar was the wife of the eldest son, Judah. 
but when he dies, she was given to the second son of Judah. Uh, but because he was wicked, uh, he also dies. And so Judah, uh, the father-in-law, uh, tells T- Tamar to, uh, to live as a widow. Uh, for the rest of her life, even though she had the right to be given the third son so that the line could continue. So to correct this injustice, Tamar dresses up as a temple prostitute and seduces um, her father-in-law. And that's how twin Perez and Zerah are born. It's uh, quite a story, and what that means is I'm thankful that it's uh, for another sermon. But for our purpose, it's sufficient to say this is an embarrassing story for Judah. It's an embarrassing story because Judah did not take God's law seriously. He wasn't, he didn't do the righteous thing. And Tamar had to correct this injustice through trickery. So that's in the genealogy. Another woman that's mentioned in the genealogy is Rahab in verse 5. Rahab, as you know, was a citizen of Jericho when the uh, when Israelites came to spy out the city before conquering the land of Canaan. She confesses as these spies come in. She confesses how she had heard of Yahweh, how Yahweh destroyed its enemies and parted the Red Sea. And she says she wants to be a part of that, and she wants to be saved by this Yahweh. And that's a great story. But, you see, they were having that conversation. The spies were in Jericho, and and Rahab was having this conversation with these spies because she was a prostitute. She let them in. And she, uh, so included in this genealogy is one who pretended to be a prostitute, but also a prostitute, a real prostitute. There's also Ruth in verse 5. Ruth's inclusion might be the strangest of, of them all because she was known to be a Moabite. And according to God's law, Deuteronomy 23, 3, Moabites were not to be included in the assembly of God's people to the 10th generations. They had no place in God's people. But she's included. Another surprising inclusion is Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, was mentioned as Uriah's wife in verse 6. It's interesting that Bathsheba is not named, right? She's named as Uriah's wife. Because I think this story, this inclusion is more about Uriah and more about, in contrast, Uriah and David. Um, Uriah's righteousness and therefore David's sinfulness. So here's a critique of who David is. It is Israel's greatest king. And if you don't know the story... Quickly summarized, uh, David sleeps with Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. And when he finds out that she's pregnant, he orders Uriah to come back from the battlefield to sleep with his wife. And he says, he's a righteous man. He says, no, 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 I can't do that. When my brothers are fighting this war, I can't sleep with my wife. And so David responds by, uh, by sending him to the front lines of the battle. Uh, and he's promptly killed. So... Matthew seems to be saying, yes, David was a great king, but he was far short of perfection. He was an adulterer, and he was a murderer. The point is, in all of this, that God's family, God, Jesus' genealogy, isn't a dream list of all the righteous people. Jesus' ancestors weren't all righteous people. Jesus' uh, Jesus's family includes Tamar. Rahab, David, and Bathsheba, and all these other people. And that's, the, that's true of the list that comes after verse 7. I've talked really up to verse 7 so far. 
there's no discernible pattern in the rest of the kings um, there. There are good and bad kings, and they seem to alternate with no reason. For example, Rehoboam, mentioned in verse 7, is deemed one of the worst kings of Israel. He's the reason why Israel divides into two different nations. And then he has a son, um, uh, Abijah, or something, whatever Sadie said. Um, but their son, Asa and Jehoshaphat, are deemed to be one of the most good, uh, the, the, the good kings. So good kings sometimes give birth to bad kings, and bad kings sometimes give birth to good kings. There seems to be very little discernible pattern here. And this is what Michael Green, our commentator, this is what, how he summarizes what he sees here. He says, there is, in other words, no pattern of righteousness in the lineage of Jesus. Adulterers, prostitutes, heroes, and Gentiles are all found in the genealogy uh, from Abraham to David. Good or evil, they were part of the Messiah's line. For grace does not run in the blood. I don't know today whether you consider yourself good or bad, whether you feel more like King David, uh, the adulterer, or Uriah, the righteous general, whether you feel like righteous King Hezekiah or prostitute Rahab. Some of us are terribly proud, and some of us are terribly insecure. Some of us are uh, porn addicts. Some of us are divorced. Some of us are gay and lesbians, and some of us are greedy and selfless, I mean, selfish and envious. We're all of this. But God's family has room for all of us because grace is offered to all of us. No matter how you feel today, God has made room for you through Jesus so that we might be welcomed into God's family, so that you might be welcomed into this church. When I lived in Honduras, I was a missionary um, for a couple of years. I was testing out to to see if I could be a lifelong missionary. And when um, in this church, a prostitute walked into the church before a Sunday service. And I remember how my heart started to pound because I watched her come in and she knelt and she started to pray. And I remember having this internal debate in my mind. I I can't remember for how long, but I debated whether I should go talk to her uh, and what I should say. And as I was debating in my mind, she got up and left. And I think often of that moment and how the courage it must have taken for her to come into this church and what she might have been going through at that moment. And then I often think about how I and the church failed her, how none of us went to go and welcome her. And I think about that, and I think about this church. We must never be too respectable, too proud too self-conscious, too self-important to welcome all kinds of people into this family. And we must realize that good and bad run in our family and also in us. And this family tree, this genealogy is a reminder of that, that none of us could claim to be righteous on our own. So first, this family tree is about God's love for all of us. Matthew did not cut the unrighteous people out of this genealogy because he wants to begin his gospel by saying that God loves us all and God wants to include all of us into his family. So this talks about God's love for all of us, but also this genealogy speaks to God's faithfulness to all of us. 
Think about how, how, how far this genealogy stretches back to. Matthew traces this genealogy back to Abraham, uh, back in Genesis chapter 12, which is 20th century B.C. God called Abraham and made that promise. He said, I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. He took him to the land and he said, you know, this land will be yours. He took him out into the starry night and said, count the stars um, in heaven because your descendants will be as many as that. But then think about how long that promise took to fulfill. Abraham was promised that his descendants would be that many, as, uh, as many as the stars. But in his lifetime, uh, he had one child at very late in his life. He was also promised this land, land of Canaan. But the only land that he owned in Canaan was the little plot of land that he bought at the end of his life to bury his wife, Sarah. But then through 2,000 years, God remembers that promise made to Abraham. And the rest of the Old Testament is really fulfillment of that promise and how that gets renewed and how God brings about into fruition that, that promise. He remembered that promise for 400 years when Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. When they forgot God's name, they didn't know who to cry out to. God remembered that promise and delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. He was faithful. He was faithful through good and bad kings of Israel, as we have seen. seen. Even when the nation of Israel and Judah were so bad that he had to bring judgment upon them through foreign nations, he remembers that promise made to Abraham, renewed again through David. And 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 he says, you know, there will be destruction here. But I remember the promise made to Abraham and to David, and I will bring you back from the exile. So Zerubbabel, mentioned in verse 12, is the governor of Judah under Persian King Darius, and he brings people back. God was faithful through the, uh, the silent years after, um, the, after the exile. We don't know really of uh, anything of the names that come after Abihud in verse 13, apart from what Matthew writes there, the names there, since there was no more prophecy after that time, and although God seemed silent for many years, he was present and he was faithful through the nine unknown people, unknown generations. God God was bringing salvation into people in Israel. The genealogy ends with verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. So even when Israel and his people were unfaithful through heroic women, through Jews and Gentiles alike, good and bad kings, God preserves this messianic line and God keeps his promises made to his people. God is faithful to his promises and he fulfills this promise through Jesus. So keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. I think one of the things that we should keep in mind is that God's timing, sense of timing, seems to be different from ours. He promises to heal. He promises abundance. He he promises to make all things right. He promises uh, that all pain and suffering will end. But then sometimes God does that in our lifetime. 
Job is a good example of that. Job's um, things are taken away, but in his lifetime, God adds things back to his life. At the end of his life, he's uh, given um, children and, and wealth back. But then that's not always the case in this lifetime. But, but, remember, that promise was fulfilled. Jesus did come. And his king, uh, the uh, coming of Jesus is the sign that Jesus' kingdom in all its fullness, will eventually come to this earth. It might happen in your, in your life in many different ways, but the fullness of Jesus' kingdom will come. And that's what this, uh, th- this says. He will do this, whether now or when he comes back. I love the hymn, um, It Is Well, It Is Well. Uh, it's written by Horatio Spafford. Um, it's a song written after 1871, Great Chicago Fire, which destroyed the whole of the city, and um, his properties were all destroyed. So he became a destitute, and he worked himself um, back up. In 1873, he was planning with his family to go to Europe um, on a, for a vacation. But because of the delays in his business, he had to send his family uh, away um, and he was going to catch up with them later on. But while crossing the Atlantic, uh, this ship um, in which the family was on uh, in, uh, crashed into another ship, and uh, all four of his daughters died. And shortly after, he wrote this song, When peace like a river attends my way, When sorrow like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know, although he didn't experience full healing of the, 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 the pain of losing of his daughters, he knew that Christ will come back to make that mourning into joy, that he will make things right. The last stanza looks forward to the day. And so, and Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll, and the trumpet shall sound, and my Lord shall descend. It is even so, it is well with my soul. We know that they will come because Jesus came 2,000 years ago. We know that day of the whole reversal, the fullness of God, the fullness of the kingdom of God, we know that will come because Jesus came. And he will bring that kingdom back sometime in the future. We don't know exactly when, but he will be back and he will make all things right. So whatever you're going through right now, know that God is faithful. In Christ, he will fulfill these promises. God promised Abraham and 2,000 years ago, Jesus sent, uh, God sent his son. And we know because of him uh, and this genealogy tells us that God is faithful to his promises, that he will keep these promises. But as I end, um, I think this genealogy really is only meaningful to us, relevant to us, because although we're not named, we're included in this genealogy. This genealogy is our genealogy, because it ends with Jesus. This is how Apostle John puts it um, in the opening chapter, John 1, 1, uh, 11 through 13. He says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all those who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children 
of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, but of or husband's will, but born of God. This is an astonishing truth, and the good news in this genealogy that through Jesus, because it ends with Jesus, through Jesus, we become children of God. That we become included in this genealogy. We become part of God's family. This is our genealogy. It tells us most fundamentally who we are, what our family story has been, how it will end as well. It's one that says we are included in God's plan. It's one that says that we are loved more than we could ever imagine. It's one that says we, though we feel like we're in a rut right now, stuck in sadness or purposelessness or uh, illness, that things will not end this way. That God had planned something all along for his family. And he will take us there in Christ Jesus. As I was trying to think of this, I, 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 I hope you can relate to this or see at least uh, some of this. Um, I, it's a very American example, but this is the best that I could do. When I think about this, when I thought about this, I thought, I think of African Americans in the U.S. One of the tragedies of American slavery was the erasing of history, erasing of the past, the past African men and women who were brought over. They lost everything. They lost their homes. They lost their friends, family. But they also lost their language and history. They lost their identity. Through slavery, they became nameless nobodies. You know, this is one of the reasons why spirituality, Christianity, became so important in African history to African Americans because the Bible says that they were somebodies. It said that the history of Abraham was their history. That God's deliverance of his people from Egypt was their deliverance. It's, it said that, um, that in the history of Abraham was theirs. And that uh, the Bible said that they were, they were included in God's story. That though the world might have erased their, their names, that though might, they might have forgotten themselves who, who they were, that God remembered each one of them and had included them into God's family. And you see, that's not just true of the the African Americans in the U.S. It's true for all of us. That's the importance of this genealogy, that no matter what kind of a person you are, whether you like yourself or you despise yourself, whether you think of yourself as a significant person or not, whether you've accomplished a lot or, or little, that none of those things are significant. What, uh, uh, what is significant is that God has been moving in the world for thousands of years uh, through the covenant established by Abraham, renewed again and again in the Old Testament, and Jesus came, and through Jesus, we are included in God's family and his story. This genealogy tells us who we are, and it tells us where we're going. It tells us that we are loved in Christ. It tells us that we are part of God's family. It tells us that the story will end, will have an ending that's not, that, that's not determined by work of our hands or the whims of history, but it will end on God's terms. And it tells us that God rules and that we are part of his family. So let's end with that thought. 
um, John 1, 11 through 13. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. And isn't it good news that we are included in God's family through Christ? Let's give thanks and praise. Let's pray.